beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, most people in the congregation know most of the elders and the deacons of this church. For the children uh, to know that they are the, the group of men who walk in through this door on the side here of the building at the beginning of every worship service. They are the ones who oversee the preaching. That's why the elder will shake also the minister's hand to show that, to make that clear. They're the ones who visit you in your homes, who call sinners to repentance, who collect your offerings for the needy, and who encourage the communion of saints. And our text today makes us ask the question, how should we treat those men that come walking in through the side door, the elders, the deacons, the minister? How should we talk to them? How should we talk about them? And what should we do if one of these men is found to be living in sin? And the Holy Spirit urges us to see that whatever we do, we need to make sure that we treat them with honor because of their office and calling, which they receive from Christ Jesus. The principle that guides Paul's instruction is the call to honor Jesus Christ. The honor associated with the office is not based on the sinful men that receive the offices, but it's based on who Jesus Christ is who gives the offices of elder and deacon and minister to the church. Since Jesus Christ set the pattern of a good shepherd, we can see by looking at him what faithful service is and also what is sinful. And when we look at the leaders of a church, we must always remember this connection, this connection between their office, what they're doing, and Christ's presence in our midst. It's a gracious message that Jesus Christ is in our midst. He, he leads us like a shepherd. He carries us like a shepherd. And we see that in the office bearers. And that's especially important to remember when it's necessary to, to charge, to exhort false teachers who were hurting the church. That's what Timothy was called to do. That's the question. Then how can a church move forward? How can a church continue to grow if some of the leaders are living in sin? How can we be sure that Christ's rule can continue to be experienced by God's people who gather here in Emmanuel? And the good news that I preach to you today is that Jesus Christ has not left us without direction. But even, even when some leaders might prove themselves to be unworthy of the office, he teaches his church to honor their elders who rule well. He teaches his church to honor their rules well. We'll see that the Holy Spirit shows us that we can do this by encouraging the faithful leaders whom Christ honors, by exposing the leaders who are sinning against Christ, 
and by ensuring that we elect leaders who are godly. And so we look at our text. Speaks of elders, verse 17. The word elder can just mean older man, like we read in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. But when Paul explains that he's talking about the elders who rule, he makes it clear that he is thinking about the office bearers in the church who have authority from the congregation for the, to form the government of the church. And we could see then that when deacons are involved in decisions concerning the government of the church, the principles of our text about how we should treat elders should also apply to them. They also have to be men who rule their own households well. We read that in the qualifications of deacons. And as far as they participate in the council of the church as faithful leaders, they too ought to be honored by the congregation. And then we notice that in the second part of verse 17, Paul makes special mention of those leaders who labor in preaching and teaching. He says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And, and this often serves as a background for the distinction we see today between the, the full-time ministers of the word and, and the elders who have a, have a job and then they, they also care for the church in their, the time, their free time. And it would seem that although several men were responsible for ruling the household of God, only a few were especially designated to be busy with the arduous work. We read labor. Paul uses a word that speaks of arduous work, that arduous work of preaching and teaching as ministers of the word of God. And so we understand that he's talking about the leadership, the office bearers in a congregation. And then we ask, well, how should we treat them? And we read in verse 17 about double honor. What do you think double honor means? When I was a student undergoing one of the earliest classes examinations, I was asked if it meant that all ministers should drive Cadillacs. Could that be true? Could that be what it means? Well, in the context about what we're reading here, it's talking about honoring widows and then also looking ahead to verse 18, we see that the word honor actually does have something to do with financial support. For Paul writes in verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's a quotation of Deuteronomy 25, where also reads some instruction about how to treat widows. And then he says, and the laborer, deserves his wages. That's a quotation, repetition of what our Lord Jesus teaches in Luke 10, verse 7. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You can imagine, we can imagine the, the ox trudging around, walking in circles on, on the threshing floor that was usually located on a hill so that the wind could blow the chaff away. And he's walking around in circles and he's pulling this heavy threshing sledge uh, over the stalks of grain to separate the kernels from the chaff. And so little kernels of grain would be lying there on, on the threshing floor. 
Wouldn't it be cruel? Wouldn't it be excessively stingy if a farmer would put a muzzle on his ox so that the ox couldn't participate in the employee discount on grain as part of his wages? And if it's cruel for an ox that we own, how much more for an elder in the church who faithfully rules and labors in preaching and teaching, ruling. You can read more about this. Paul explains more about it in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 14. But now in our text, he just repeats Jesus' instruction that, that we, as a general rule, should honor the work of faithful elders by giving them the wages they need for doing their task. And it's interesting to note that Paul leaves room for this honor to be offered to all faithful leaders who need it in order to do their work, even though it is especially for those who dedicate their lives to the ministry. And if we think about what this has to do with honoring the office, elders and deacons, you can also think of the, the opposite. Satan can do a lot of damage to the preaching to the ministry of the church, to the work of elders and, and leaders by instilling a greedy, a stingy, and a not for, or, and a for-profit attitude among church members. When we fail to honor the years of study and the hours of, of weekly labor and the constant prayers and cares of the leaders and, and the teachers in our midst, when we fail to honor that with, a, with an adequate stipend, the damage goes beyond just the hardship of one elder or one pastor, but also makes the office and calling undesirable for other young men. It affects the future of the church as well. So the Lord Jesus Christ instructs his people to honor the office by making it clear that their actions, their faithful service is valued. That we value Christ's presence in our midst through these office bearers. As in the case of Paul's instruction for widows, which comes just before the section we're reading now, our desire to honor those who rule well is related to their faithful labor in our midst. True children of God are thankful that these men have taken the weight of the responsibility to give account to God for every sheep that is under their care. It's a big responsibility. You read about that in Hebrews 13, verse 17. When the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, we can see that these leaders are gifts whom Christ Jesus ordained and sent to serve us as a church, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 14. And so part of that double honor that we give to the office bearers is what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 to 13. Verses 12 to 13, it was on the screen as you walked in today, you already read it. It's to respect those who labor among us and are over us in the Lord, and admonish us, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Think about how to show this honor, this respect. 
which shows itself in the way that we talk about the office bearers with, with one another in front of our children. It's always good to remember that you are talking and writing to ambassadors of Christ Jesus. Ambassadors who, when they are faithful, are seeking to, to choose the best path for the whole congregation, young and old, experienced and, and newer members, that they aren't able to, to please everyone in every situation. And sometimes it even happens that elders don't have all the information in front of them and they make a mistake. But even so, if they are seeking to be faithful representatives of Christ Jesus, to, that's what they're called to, we need to recognize that desire in their hearts when we deal with them, when we speak of them, when we speak to them. You see, brothers and sisters, when we ridicule the elders, we ridicule the Lord who gave them to us. When we think we could do better, we challenge the decision of our Lord Jesus Christ to put them into office. And what strikes us that is that in our passage that even when it becomes clear that one or more of them is living in sin as was the case in Ephesus where Timothy was working, Paul still makes it clear that believers ought to start by respecting and honoring those who are faithful in their work and not condemn the whole group, spit out their names because of the wickedness of a few. In fact, brothers and sisters, it is in times of reformation that the faithful leaders will need the most encouragement so that the church can also work together to expose those leaders who are sinning. You see that in, our, in the second point. In the Holy Spirit, we see, protects the faithful leaders of the church since it's God's will to govern us by their hand. That's what we confess. We believe that. We also remember that as public figures, the elders in a church are, are vulnerable to attacks and since their office, their task, faithful work can include admonitions and exhortations against sinful lifestyles, the fact is they are not always very well liked. Satan can use envy and bitterness and anger in the hearts of rebellious sinners in a way that hurts the church by causing the downfall of this leadership. It's another, another way to attack the church. And it's for this reason that the apostle Paul reminds the congregation of the clear instruction that our Lord Jesus gave in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, about how the church ought to deal with people who are living in sin. Never mind the behind-the-back chatter and gossip the attempts to ruin the names of elders and deacons by negative suggestions, the constant undermining of the consistory and the council by name-calling just because you don't agree with their work. 
Paul says the only time you need to talk in this directly with an elder or the consistory is when an elder persists in a sin. That is, he, he either refuses to seek forgiveness for a sin committed once in the past or he's committing, he's living in a sin that he doesn't repent from. He's sinning, persisting in sin. And when we look at the conflict from the perspective of the consistory, Paul tells Timothy to ensure that the existing group of leaders does not admit a charge, it's verse 19, admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence, the verbal testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, we can see what we read in Deuteronomy 19 uh, behind this, even to the point of, of exposing uh, those or, or that the rest may stand in fear. We can see that comes directly from Deuteronomy 19. The parallels are very similar. And the apostle then applies the law of the Lord to tell the, the church leadership group not to, not, to, not, not to just accept any accusation that is not supported by proof. This does not mean, we need to be clear, this does not mean that they need to have two witnesses to report any suspicion of abuse to the civil authorities because to fail to report in this case would be breaking the law. It also doesn't mean that they can't note in the minutes that an accusation was made just in case it is the first of other witnesses who may be too ashamed to come forward at the moment. But the main point here is that if leaders in the church, is that leaders in the church should not condemn a fellow elder or deacon rashly and that if an accusation against an office bearer is received by the consistory, it must have some weight. Even after receiving an accusation that is supported by two or three witnesses, the leadership group needs to see evidence that a person is persisting in sin and refusing to seek forgiveness or that the sin committed still hinders them from serving as a leader in the congregation in the future. Paul tells us to honor the elders who rule faithfully. And if careful investigation was done at the time of their ordination, we should not forget that on the day that an accusation is put forward. The starting point is, is honor, that double honor. But at the same time, it is clear that the apostle does not want the consistory to be naive about the power of sin. No elder is above God's law. And no elder is outside of the rod and the staff of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, that he is representing. In our text, the Holy Spirit clearly reveals that he does not want the church to protect leaders who are living in sin. It does not show honor to accept an accusation against an elder without sufficient proof that they are persisting in sin. But it also does not show honor to elders when the leadership group shields them from the consequences of their sins. The Holy Spirit is clear that those who are sinning, who are persisting in sin, ought to be rebuked in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. 
Paul then calls God, Christ Jesus, and the elect angels as witnesses to the solemn charge that the leadership group must keep these rules without prejudging and partiality. When's the last time you spoke a word in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels? If you spoke that, you were very, very serious in your charge. It's a very, very heavy word. And the elders are called then to reflect the just rule of God in judging others while remembering that they too will be judged and will have to give account to God, the judge in Christ Jesus and his elect angels who serve them. Every office bearer who comes into office can know that although they desire a noble task, they also need to know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James 3 verse 1. The Lord Jesus loves his sheep. He loves his congregation too much to allow them to suffer under false, unfaithful leaders. It makes us, as a congregation, feel grateful. We have a, a Savior, a shepherd who, who takes care of us, <clears throat> who doesn't joke about, joke around with the office. And as we hear all this, brothers and sisters, we can already see some of the consequences for, for every one of us as, as a member of the congregation. We glorify Christ's name. We, we show our gratefulness for his protection of our lives. When we are faithful in exhorting one another, according to Matthew 18... And if you then see a, a leader living in sin, it's not just a personal offense, it's also an attack against the, the rule of Jesus Christ and it should urge you to admonish him quickly. If necessary, to bring a witness and let the consistory know rather than just assuming that they already know something just because it's obvious to you. And if you are feeling too afraid or too ashamed to talk. You can be assured that Christ Jesus does hate the same sins that you hate, that you will receive support. The shepherd carries us through the hard times and you will receive support even if you may not see the results that you want right away. It's very clear from this passage, brothers and sisters, that, that Jesus Christ does not give his support to those who persist in their sins against him. And if they are in office now, don't, don't be mistaken, don't be fooled to think that this is the way it is in the church of Jesus Christ as something normal. But you can know that they've gotten into office under false pretenses that their sinful lifestyle is not something that the consistory supports. In fact, the apostle is very clear that if the leaders of a church knowingly elect someone who is living in sin or ordains someone hastily, 
It can be said that they take part in the sins of others. See that in verse 22. And so we're called to elect leaders who are godly. And as Paul is giving this instruction to Timothy about problems with existing office bearers, maybe he's thinking of the the strain and the the stress this can cause on on a man like Timothy, on, on the leadership. He urges Timothy and and also the leaders to pay attention to their own lives as well. It was not good that Timothy was having trouble with his stomach. He was always struggling with ailments, especially if he was afraid to, to drink wine for medicinal purposes because the leaders were forbidding it there in the Ephesian church. So the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to take care of himself, to to watch out for bad drinking water, to drink a little wine, and we notice he specifically says a little wine and not a lot. Godliness was not to be associated with asceticism, but rather with purity. We see the emphasis here in in the Apostle's teaching is, is on godliness, Two times in this passage, Paul repeats that Timothy himself must act in all purity. In dealing with the younger women as sisters, we see that in verse 2, but also in dealing with leaders who are living in sin. Reminds us of Galatians 6. Be careful that you won't be tempted along with them. Elders need to be an example of godliness so that they can also participate in electing, choosing men who are godly. And we see how the situation is here. It's a time of reformation. It's a time to expose the leaders who are sinning to to do this with all honor for the existing office bearers. And Paul then teaches the church to, to be patient when ordaining men, when laying on hands, when ordaining new office bearers. Be careful. There will be less chance, there will be less reason for accusations if the church is not hasty in the laying on of hands. And then Paul explains that in verses 24 and 25. He says, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Well, the word conspicuous, you know what that means? The word conspicuous means that it's evident. It's easy for everyone to see. So he's saying the sins of some people are are obvious. It's easy for us to see them. We don't need a lot of time to see that those people, those men should not be ordained. But since sin always has a selfish and an inward focus, it's possible for a person to be loving his sin for a long time before he puts those sinful desires into action. And such a person who faithfully goes through the motions and stays out of the spotlight can deceive many people for a long time 
with his appearances. And Paul says the problem is that, that his sinful heart will, will remain hidden for a time. Don't be hasty. If you wait, you'll see that sin always destroys eventually. And as a church of Jesus Christ, we want to be diligent that we ensure that it does not destroy from the position of authority given to leaders who are supposed to represent Christ. So Paul says, don't be hasty. And he also says, good works are a much better gauge of what lies in the heart. Because even if we tried, we cannot hide good works. Rather than look for the absence of sinfulness, look for good works. Why are good works harder to hide than sins are? Because good works always benefit someone else. Someone always can see it. You see, we don't do good works for ourselves like we do sins. We don't even do them because God needs them but we do good works for our neighbor. And that means they will always be experienced, they will always be seen. And when we are not hasty in the laying on of hands, then we will have a better chance, uh, opportunity to see if a person is living his life as a child of God or not. And when we do it, when we evaluate if a person has qualifications for office, we should do it in a positive way rather than ask what anyone might have against them, we may do better to ask what has been noticed in their favor. What are the evidence of, of good works in that person's lives? All the congregation has a role in this process of choosing and electing new ministers, elders, and deacons. It, it pertains to the calling to honor the elders and the deacons and the ministers. That means we need to think about that regularly, brothers and sisters, not just in, in, in the spring, election time. Let's think about the, the leadership of the church through the office bearers. If we know some people in our lives better than others, we can really, we can really serve the well-being of the church if we encourage men who love their wives and their families who love Bible study, who love to teach and to show hospitality, to, we could encourage them to enter into the offices to, to present their names forward. And if we know the opposite to be true, we would not encourage such men to be office bearers. That's the question, then who are the men that you would want to honor the men you would want to submit to, the men you would want to bless with double honor for their faithful work. And brothers and sisters, may it be our desire to choose leaders who faithfully represent Christ's love, Christ's care for his congregation. That's how we show to our Lord Jesus Christ that we are grateful for all that we have in him. It's not a matter of politics here among men. It's a matter of, of glorifying Jesus Christ 
who wants to be in our midst through these men. And then may we seek to honor, to encourage faithful leaders by showing them double honor because of their hard work in our midst. May we be courageous enough to expose the leaders who are sinning, not to to get at those men, but to, once again, promote the glory of Jesus Christ in our midst. And recognizing the power of sin, let us pray regularly for our leaders that they may be humble servants of Jesus Christ who faithfully fight against sin in themselves as they keep themselves pure. What a blessing to see that Christ Jesus has not left us alone, that he encourages us to to treat different people in our midst in different ways for the glory of Christ. Let us show our gratefulness for his love by protecting the faithful leaders and allowing them to carry out their offices with joy. Amen.